You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to our weekly Bible study. We're glad that you're able to be with us this evening. And this evening, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 John. We've been studying it together over the the past couple months, really, and we've been taking a a section at a time. And tonight, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So we're really only looking at three verses this evening, but it's a very useful portion of Scripture. It's actually a challenging portion of Scripture. And I think it's the type of thing that we as believers need to take to heart, because there are some things that the Apostle John says in this passage that applied not just during the time in which he wrote them, but very much during our time as well. This is an era where there are all sorts of things that are tugging on us in all sorts of directions. And one of the big themes that you're going to see in this passage is the idea that that John encourages us not to love the world. Now, I will admit right at the start that that is probably a statement that sounds a little funny, because when you think about some of the other things in Scripture that we've read, in, including what is probably the the best known or one of the best known portions of Scripture, John 3.16, where it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world. So why would we be talking about not loving the world when Scripture also tells us that God loved the world. So I'm going to clarify that for us this evening, and I actually have um, a, a couple, kind of a couple extra discussion questions when we uh, jump into our discussion time that I'll be curious to hear some of the opinions of those that are live on the call with us tonight uh, about some of these very things. But again, we're in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 15, and uh, we're going to look at this a section at a time. We'll look at verse 15, we'll look at verse 16, and then we'll finish up with verse 17 of 1 John chapter 2. But let's start with verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2. And I'll even say this even before I read this. Let me say one more thing. When the Apostle John wrote this, this was during a season where where John was recognized as an influential leader in the early church. The early church definitely looked to him as an example. He was the last of the apostles who was living. The others had been executed, and they people attempted to execute John as well. They just didn't succeed. He lived through it. Tradition tells us that they they actually tried to boil John, which is kind of interesting. And I've I've even seen some write ups that that some of those uh, some of that scarring was visible on his body, but he did not die from that attempt. Uh, eventually, what ends up happening, even though he was a very old man when this happened to him, uh, eventually he was exiled to the island of Patmos as a way to basically punish him and stop him from doing the ministry that the Lord had called him to do. And while he was on Patmos, that's when the Lord inspired him to write the book of Revelation. But the book of First John, this letter that John wrote to uh, the early church, this was written prior to that. This was written prior to his exile to uh, the island of Patmos. And I'll also say this, because we're about to look at John telling us not to love something, 
And I want to point out something to you that I think is useful to remember about John, and that is this, that John was someone that was known as being a loving person, a loving apostle. He was somebody that emphasized love in his teaching. He was someone that demonstrated love in his personality. And even when he described himself in the Gospel of John, which he wrote down, he would frequently refer to himself as the one that Jesus loved, or the disciple that Jesus loved. And it wasn't that Jesus didn't love the other disciples, it's just that that's how John thought of himself. He thought of himself as one who was deeply loved by the Lord, which is a wonderful thing when you think about it. And I think that that's a mindset that each of us should have, that we should recognize that we are genuinely loved by the Lord, because that makes a difference in how we approach each day. That makes a difference in how we think of ourselves. It makes a difference in how we treat other people as well. And uh, so it's kind of interesting to think about how much John would emphasize love and, um, and, and just how, you know, in this portion of Scripture, he also says, do not love something specific, which we'll get to in just a second. I'll also tell you this. I've heard a story and obviously it's—so it's not in Scripture. I can't verify the accuracy of this, but it seems consistent with John's character that at one point near the end of John's life, when he still had—when he had access to people again, um, and he was he was in a spot where I guess he really couldn't uh, easily mobilize himself, that the believers brought him into one of their gatherings, into one of their assemblies, and just asked him, to give a word of teaching, a word of encouragement. It wasn't like he could stand up at that point and give them a a full-fledged sermon like he may have been able to do at a younger season of life. And tradition says that he just got up in front of them and, and, um, and just said, love one another, that he just repeatedly said, love one another, that they should love one another. So that was kind of his theme message. So I guess that's a lot of background to lead up to three short verses, but, you know, I guess we also have time to do that tonight since we're looking at a smaller section. But he's going to encourage us here in this portion of Scripture from 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 15, to not love something in particular. And in verse 15, which I'll read in just a second, we're going to see that he will tell us, he will demonstrate for us that our love demonstrates our allegiance. So your love will demonstrate what you are aligned with or what you have allegiance to. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me read the verse. It says this in 1 John 2, verse 15. John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So think about that statement here. Think about it's just two sentences in this verse, but he tells us a variety of things, and he tells us the root of what is going on, and he's going to elaborate on this in the coming verses as well. But again, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what does this mean? Well, let's look at that first sentence uh, in particular. He says here, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago that that sounds almost like it's a contrast to John 3.16, where it tells us that God so loved the world. So what's John getting at? Is he teaching something different, or is this a, 
a statement that has some clarifying thought that we can give to it that aligns with what the Scripture is actually trying to teach us. Now, obviously, this is not a statement of contrast. This is a statement of clarification that he's giving us here. And when he's talking about world here, when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world, he's not talking about people in general. He's not talking about uh, the, you know, the, all the people that this earth contains. That's not what he's getting at. What he's talking about here is this idea of a, a system that ultimately is being influenced and led by Satan himself. He's talking about selfish ambition. He's talking about a worldly mindset. He's talking about uh, just a system of living apart from God and treating God, not even like an afterthought, but basically treating God like he doesn't even exist. A worldly mindset, a worldly system, a worldly manner of living. And he's saying, don't love that. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. He's saying, don't latch your heart. Onto, onto things that have no eternal value. And in fact, don't let your heart onto things that are in direct opposition to God himself. So that's what John is stressing here when he's saying this, when he's saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. He's talking about a system of belief that is aligned with Satan as opposed to uh, belief that's aligned with Christ. And he says, if anyone loves the world, so if anyone loves this worldly system that is aligned with Satan, if anyone loves that, he's saying, the love of the Father is not in him. So he's saying, if if the love of the Father is in us, the Father is going to be steering our affections through his Spirit. He's going to show us what we should be aligned with, what we should value, what we should prioritize, what we should have affection for, what we should actively be trying to bless and serve. But if we're loving the system that's in place in this world that opposes the things of God, we're showing that the love of the Father is not in us. Because if the love of the Father is in us, we're not going to love things that oppose the one that we love. Right? We're not, we can't say out of one corner of our mouth that we love the Father and that we are conscious of his love for us, and then go and support things that are in opposition to him. And we see things that are in opposition to him all around us all the time. I mean, you, you, you could turn on your TV, you could fire up your computer, you can look at really any source of media, and you can see all sorts of things that, that really don't honor the Lord and don't have any desire to put the Lord first. And so John's saying, don't love that. Don't embrace that. That's not the type of thing that you should internalize and take into your life. It's a mindset. It's a system of living that tries to live as if God doesn't exist. So don't love worldliness. Rather, we're to love the Lord. Uh, now, when you get into when you when you get into verse sixteen, uh, John develops this thought a little bit further. And I want to point out some of the things that he shows to us here, and uh, and I and I'll even say this just as a banner statement over it: the things that tempt you have no eternal value. So John's going to illustrate some things here that are forms of temptation or sources of temptation, or ways in which temptation creeps into our life. 
And the things that tempt us have no eternal value. The things that tempt us are things aligned with that worldly system that goes in the in the direction that, that basically Satan is pulling its strings. But the way John says it here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, he says this. He says, for all that is in the world, and now he's about to clarify what's in the world. So he says, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So again, he's showing us here the things that tempt us have no eternal value. So think about the things that are in the world. Now again, he what he's he's not talking about all the things that are on the earth. That's not what he's talking about. He's clarifying what what he means by world. And he's saying for all that is in the world, for all that is in this system of belief or system of living that aligns with Satan, and then he, he, he shows us what's in that system. He says it's a system that, that emphasizes the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. So let's pick those three apart. Some people phrase it this way, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Maybe you've heard it phrased that way. So what are the desires of the flesh or the lusts of the flesh? What are the desires of the eyes? What are What is the pride of life? Well, let me give you an example of something that you can find elsewhere in Scripture. One of the things that the Old Testament deals with at great length is idolatry. And there are, you know, kind of a, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. But when you look throughout uh, the people of Israel and the people of the the uh, Gentile nations during the Old Testament, they were known for drifting toward idolatry. It seems that that was something that they would just drift toward continually, and and frequently it was in visible ways. So you you have you know them them worshiping these these physical demonstrations physical manifestations of of um of these false deities and and uh you know these demonic things and and uh there's all sorts of uh, uh, like just idle practices that were taking place and and um and you know just these patterns of the pagan nations even when they would even when they would sacrifice their own children to these idols and all sorts of detestable and and dark things that were taking place and one of the things that scripture describes the that mindset of idolatry as being uh, is like a pattern of living where you worship the god of your stomach is how it's referenced elsewhere in scripture worshiping the god of your stomach so what is the god of your stomach or sometimes it's referred to as the god of your belly well i think all of us have desires all of us have cravings you know earlier today i noticed right around four o'clock today i got very, very hungry for whatever reason. I ate lunch. I didn't skip lunch. I just noticed right around four o'clock, it was still a couple hours before we ate our dinner. I just felt really, really hungry. Well, I could do a couple things with that hunger. I can try to satisfy that hunger, or I could try to ignore that hunger. Well, that hunger is something, you know, under a natural circumstance that you would say is a, a tool, an indicator that the Lord has given me to indicate that my body needs food. So as a natural hunger, it's fine. But sometimes people try to use natural hungers to satisfy a deeper longing of the soul. And there are many times in my life that I have to admit to you that food has become a bit of an idol for me, where because I was stressed or because I was um, 
you know, discouraged or because I was going through a difficult stretch, I would try and medicate myself with food by overconsuming, by overeating. Well, that would be an example of like the God of my belly, the God of my flesh. But people do this in a variety of ways. People try and satisfy their soul through fleshly appetites in all sorts of manner. Uh, sometimes people do it through consuming just possessions by trying to have all sorts of things. A friend of ours came over just the other day, and she was telling us how she cleans houses. And there's a person that she's been cleaning house for for, uh, I guess, quite a while. And apparently this person has a vast collection of extremely expensive purses, purses that have cost individually thousands of dollars. And this person has just a big collection of these things. And every time she gets one, she wants another one to the point where it's hard to even imagine that she would notice that any of them are missing. And if you tally up all the purses that she has, we're, you know, we're talking six figures in purses. I mean, this is somebody that has a considerable amount of wealth. And you look at that and you think, all right, well, one purse didn't satisfy. So she thought, okay, maybe a second or maybe a third or maybe a fourth or maybe a fifth. And, and people do this all the time. I'm friends with somebody who, who does this with cars and he, he's not somebody of great wealth. But yet what he does is every time he gets bored with his life or every time he finds himself in an emotional rut, he will try to use purchasing a vehicle to satisfy that emotional need. And because of that, he actually hurts his finances considerably because he's always what they say underwater, right? When he's, when he's making these purchases. And so he never, it just, he never gets to a point where he pays off a car. He just always trades it in on something else and uh, always ends up underwater and he'll keep a car sometimes less than a year and just get bored with it and then go through a spot where he's discouraged. And then he tries to use a vehicle to satisfy his, um, you know, just his emotional needs. I, I, I'll give you one more example, and this one's kind of dark. Uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with, and I still consider this person a friend, uh, but this is, you know, I, I remember him ad admitting to me when we were younger how he was basically trying to satisfy his emotional needs with uh, just a considerable amount of, of um, you know, just fornication and, and sex outside of marriage. And he would just just at every opportunity for something like that, that he got, he would pursue. And I remember him telling me about this. And at one point it became so commonplace in his life that I could tell that there was barely even like a, a thought of shame in regard to it. I don't, I don't know if he thought he was bragging when he would share other people or share this with other people, but he was, I remember him telling me about this and I remember, you know, thinking, all right, this is dangerously unhealthy and even talking to him about this, but it is a pattern that he carried into his adult life, and it has come at great expense and great regret. And so here you have John talking about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And there are all sorts of things that surround us on a daily basis that this world is promising us will satisfy our soul. This world holds these things out and says, if you want to find ultimate peace, you'll find it through consuming these things or obtaining these things or taking your life in a direction where, where you just want more and more and more of this and you try and satisfy the deepest longing of your soul with anything but Jesus. 
right? So the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, whatever is right in front of you or whatever your flesh desires in any given moment, whether it be healthy or whether it be sinful, you become convinced when you buy into that worldly system that John tells us not to love, you become convinced that these things will satisfy your heart instead of Jesus. And instead of looking to Christ, you look to the things of this world. And guess what? The things of this world, they may seem wonderful at first, but then you discover the consequence of giving into them. And you also discover how they never satisfy your soul. It's just what, the same reason that one purse becomes another purse, or one car becomes another car, or one relationship becomes another relationship. You always need more because the last didn't satisfy. And John also says that, that, that in this category of things that people try to satisfy their soul with, the other thing he brings up is this idea of the pride of life. And it's just this boastful, braggadocious mindset where a person thinks that they will be satisfied as long as they can be convinced that they are ahead of other people or ahead of someone specific, where they could brag about uh, you know, their achievements or their possessions or their acquisitions or their or their experiences, or whatever it may be, the pride of life, and it doesn't satisfy. And he says, these things, he's speaking of these things, he's saying all of this, all that's in the world, he says, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And that's why I said a few moments ago that the thing that tempt you, or the things that tempt you, have no eternal value whatever category it is. And I think we all probably have things that that we find particularly tempting. And certainly there are seasons in my life that I could, I could look back at and say, yeah, I was convinced at that season that the things of this world would satisfy my heart. And even when I look at my life right now, I think, all right, one of the, the big things I need to be reminded of regularly is that the things of this world will not satisfy my heart. I, I have been driving my present car for a very long time. This is year 14. It's the longest I've ever owned a vehicle. And I made that decision uh, because my wife and I had a different goal. We were trying to pay off our mortgage. And so we thought, all right, let's pay off the mortgage and not update our cars the whole time. Well, I have to tell you, after 14 years, one of the things I promised myself was that I'd allow myself to update my car. So I've actually started car shopping. But I could easily fall right into that spot that the friend that I had mentioned just a few moments ago has fallen into. I'm not exempt from that, you know, to, to start thinking that that up, updating my car, getting something different is going to satisfy an emotional need. No, a, a car is a useful tool, but it can't take the place of the contentment that I can find only through Jesus Christ. And so you have John saying here, listen, these things if you're trying to use them to satisfy emotional and spiritual needs, recognize they don't have the capacity to do that. Uh, They are not from the Father. They're from the world, and they have no eternal value, so don't give your allegiance over to them. It's a very specific and helpful portion of Scripture, and I think it's very useful what John says. And We'll ask some some, uh, questions about that in just a moment, but I want to show you one more verse, and that's verse 17 and uh, uh, 1 John chapter 2. And here he reminds us to keep our lives focused on the eternal. So he says it this way in verse 17. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So 
look at what he's saying here and just think about this. It's Again, it's very helpful for us to just kind of keep all things in perspective and to keep our lives focused on the eternal. So the things that this world chases after, the things that this world would even kill for, he's saying the world is passing away and along with its desires. These are things that are not going to last. These are things that are going away. They're disappearing. The world is passing away. It's not something that will matter forever. But he says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever knows the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ and demonstrates that faith in their obedience, what they're, what they're showing is that they're part of God's forever family. They're part of God's eternal kingdom. It's demonstrated in their life because they, they do the will of God out of their genuine faith in Jesus Christ. But the things of this world and the desires of this world are passing away. You know, it's kind of comical to me when I think back to the things of that that at one point I thought were so so important. I remember when I was ten years old, I had a, a, a few things on my list that I wanted, but one of the things that I wanted, well, I'll even list two of them. You ready for this? One of the things that I wanted was a telephone. I wanted my own phone, and uh, and I remember at Christmas time that year, I got my own phone. My uncle, with with my mother's permission, bought me a phone. And I was so excited. I had a phone in my room and, uh, you know, I hooked it up to the phone jack and I just, I thought that that was the greatest thing going. And I have to tell you now, you know, when I think back to that landline phone, I don't know how many of you still have a landline, um, but I haven't had a landline since 2008. So that phone that was so important to me, you know, it's, we're, we're at 13 years now since I've even had a landline. So I don't even have a place in my house that that phone would work. Even if I still owned it, I could plug it in, but It's not going to work anywhere because I don't have landline service, right? Another thing that I remember at that season of my life that I really, really wanted, it was so important to me, was a big, tall stereo. And on on the top, it had a turntable. And on the face of it, it had a, a dual cassette player. And I remember seeing that in a store, and it had these big, tall speakers. And I thought, oh, man. That would just be so wonderful if I had that. I've always been a big music fan, and it was so important to me. And I remember I got it. I was given that stereo as a gift, again, for Christmas at that same season. I think it was even that same Christmas. I don't have that stereo anymore. And, in fact, one of the things that makes me most happy is that I can I can have my entire music collection on my phone with me at any time and that I have these really, really small earbuds that that fit in my ears where I can just listen to it when I'm mowing the lawn or when I'm working on projects around my garage or whatever it may be. So I'm not blaring it with these super loud speakers. I just have a little something in my ear. And, and in fact, half the time, I'm not even listening to music anymore when I'm doing that. I'm listening to podcasts and other things like that. So it's just interesting how what was once important to me at an earlier season of life I don't even care about it anymore. And you probably have examples like that as well. But it was majorly important to me back then. And I think that the things of this world that we presently desire that seem so important from the perspective of eternity, there's going to be a day quickly approaching when we will look at at the things of this world and we'll realize these are things that are passing away and the desires of this world are passing away. They have no eternal value. So since they have no eternal value, the priorities of this world, the the pleasures of this world, they have no eternal value, then as a follower of Christ, who has an eternal place in his kingdom, I think Scripture's reminding me, including this Scripture, that I need to keep my life focused on the eternal, 
not get wrapped up, not getting wrapped up in the things of this world that are going away, right? But focusing on what matters forever. It says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the demonstration of genuine faith. And it's helpful for me to think about that. And I hope it's helpful for you as well, even as we look at this portion of Scripture together. Now, I'm going to take my uh, slides off the screen here and uh, bring our gallery up here and uh, just kind of see what what uh, what everybody's opinion uh, opinions are on some of these things. But I have a few questions for us, for starters here. And I, I don't know, uh, even before I read the question, does anyone here want to be our icebreaker tonight? I always feel like we need an icebreaker. Sometimes I just jump right to Don Kaler because he's, uh, he's usually good to be the icebreaker. Should I do that tonight to Don? He doesn't even know the question. What do you think, Don? Do you feel uh, – Don, all right, Don's going to volunteer. All right. So that, that's a lot of faith, Don. All right. You don't even know what I'm going to ask. Uh, what, you know, this is a recording going out to the, our podcast audience. What if I'm about to ask the PIN number to your bank account or uh, your social security number? You're, you're obligated to tell our audience now uh, whatever, whatever it is I'm asking. All right. Anyway, all jokes aside, here we go, Don. Um, how do many people show that they are devoted to a worldly system apart from God or opposed to God? How, how do many, like in their life, in their priorities, what do you notice that, that kind of demonstrates that people are really devoted to that worldly system that opposes God? What catches your eye? I would have to say the, uh, how cheerful a giver they are. Uh, if they're in a, in a worldly state of mind, uh, they're looking for what they can stash away, what kind of uh, return they're getting on their investment. It's it's like a, a, a gimme, gimme, maybe greedy kind of. And uh, when somebody is, you know, uh, a, a cheerful giver, I think, is a, is a good indication that you're lined up with uh, with God's will as opposed to earthly view. You I know? think it's a good <laughs> The uh, when you when you think about um, like the ideas of generosity or or covetousness, right? Generosity and covetousness. I think okay, yeah. Generosity can be an indicator that that our mind and our our priorities are aligning with with what matters to the Lord. I, I have to tell you, you know, that's something uh, in my experience in my own life. I think that was something that came a little bit later for me. I, I, you know, even early in my walk with the Lord, I, you know, when I look back at that, I don't really think I was all that generous. You know, I, I, I don't, I really hadn't developed that, that muscle yet in my mind. That was something that, that kind of came later on in my walk with the Lord. And uh, I think it could be that maybe I was really still in a spot where I was hoping that the things of this world were going to somehow satisfy my deepest longing. So I, I can see that, you know, I can definitely see that. I think that's a good example. How about somebody else? Anyone else have a thought? You know, what, what do you think kind of demonstrates that maybe someone's still devoted to a, a, a worldly system that's opposed to God? Anything catch your attention? What do you think? Ian, go ahead. Uh, well, I think that the easiest way to tell what someone's priorities are uh, is to look at what they spend time on. So time. Um, so what's on your calendar? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I fell into this when I was younger, you know, I, I call myself Christian, but I spent all my time doing worldly things and, yeah. uh, you have to, uh, what is important to your heart is what you spend time on. Yeah. 
Yeah, they say, I don't know if you ever heard the saying, but this is, you guys are kind of proving this to be true. I've heard it said that you can tell what somebody worships by checking their, by looking at their, their, their checkbook and their calendar. You know, you could tell what we, you tell what we worship uh, by our checkbook and our calendar. I remember the first time I heard that said, I was like, what, like, what are you, what are you getting at? What, what do you mean? But in many respects, there is some truth to that, you know, what you're spending your time on or what you're what what you support with your resources. I can see that for sure. I, I definitely think that that's true. Um, how about this? Um, I'd be curious to hear anyone's opinions on this. You know, where do you see that worldly system aligned with Satan? Where do you see that on display in things like entertainment or fashion or personal ambitions? I mean, do you see that in things that are kind of magnified for our culture to observe? You know, I, I feel like in so many respects, it's like right in front of our face all the time. Can you think of any any ways that you've noticed kind of that worldly system that aligns with Satan being promoted to us through things like entertainment or fashion or even just personal ambition? I think it might be more difficult to find things that uh, are not uh, <laughs> uh, uh, bad. It does feel that way, doesn't it? Does it? I, so we don't. Um, does anyone have anything like um, like a Fire Stick or uh, something like that on your TV where you could stream, um, you know, like like video like Netflix or Hulu or anything like that? Does anyone have anything like that? Um, we, so we don't have cable. Um, but a, a few years ago we decided, Hey, let's, let's buy a fire stick because there were certain things that we wanted to be able to stream. And, uh, so we bought one from Amazon. It was like, I think I spent like 20 bucks and, um, you know, you could like do some streaming video and stuff to it. And, um, there's my, we don't really watch much TV, but on occasion we'll sit down and watch either, you know, I, I mean, I enjoy watching football, so I'll watch football. And um, I also enjoy there's a there's like a, a, a TV show out of Canada that my wife and I enjoy watching from time to time. And so we sat down to watch it last night and um, and it streams through that fire stick and the show is fine and it's entertaining and it's good. But the advertisements that were coming across the top of the screen while we were just trying to set that up to watch it. And I looked at that and I, I'm annoyed because I don't want to see that. And and also keep in mind, we have four kids in our house, three of which are teenagers, one's 20. I'm thinking, I don't want my kids seeing that. And so like trying to figure out, like, how do you how do you like fix that? So you don't even have to see stuff like that. And it seems like like it it makes it so you, you don't even feel like you could have this like device that's just supposed to help you easily stream content if you want to be able to stream it, because it's not even so much the content you're streaming. Sometimes sometimes it's the advertising. And you're like, there's, it's like advertising, trying to point you in the direction you're not even trying to go. And I just, I, last night, I just felt so annoyed that I sounded like such a curmudgeon in our house. But I mean, my only audience was my wife and she fully agreed with me. I was like, how do we make it so that like, you don't even see any of that. Like, I don't want any of that in, in like, in our, in our view, like even something that's like, I don't know, it just felt it just felt off color, like the advertising. And, and may, I know, like, I know most people probably wouldn't even think anything of it, but it just bothered me and it bothered her. And I, I neither of us liked it. So, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's probably easier in some ways to almost point out like, where don't we see it? Right. Where don't we see it? But does that ever, I don't know, does it ever frustrate you guys? You know, when you're, when you're just trying to kind of go about your life, how it almost seems so inescapable. You know, I mean, do you ever notice that like when you're driving on um, 
you know, we're near 95, you know, well, 95 goes all throughout the East coast here, you know, it's just, uh, but we're near Philadelphia. And so, um, you know, when I'm taking places, you know, we'll take 95, even if we're driving down to Florida, we hop on 95 and we head down there. And there are sections where even just the billboard advertising, you know, it's just all trying to appeal to worldly ambitions. It's all trying to appeal to the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. And it's just like everywhere you go, that that's where it's at, you know, and, and we see examples of it. Um, all right. Let me, let me ask a kind of a follow-up question to, to some of the things that, that we have seen in the scripture we're looking at tonight. And I'd just be curious if anyone has an opinion on this. I'll, I'll certainly share my opinion on this in, in a moment, even if it's different from some of our opinions here on the call. But, but which comes first, our love for the Father or his love for us? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Which comes first, our love for the Father or his love for us? Thankfully, his love for us. His love for us. All right. Explain, explain your, uh, well, your answer. I, I look at it that way because we have such, uh, assurance and stability in that because it was, it's initiated by him and not by us. Our tendencies are far more fickle. He's constant. Yeah. I'll tell you why I asked that. I, I assumed we probably would all agree on that. And I'm guessing maybe we all do. Um, but there was a season of my life that I treated my relationship with the Lord like I loved him first, and then he loved me in response to the fact that I loved him. And that was a theologically confusing season of my life. <laughs> you know, as a, as a new believer, I, I, I treated it almost like I was seeking him and, and forgetting that, that all of this is because he initiated his rescue plan for humanity. You know, mankind wasn't reaching out to him. He came to rescue us. Even what we think about, you know, it's Easter week, right? So we're thinking about the fact of the earthly ministry of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Christ from the grave. And so we're thinking about all of these things uh, in a poignant way this week. But, you know, we can easily think that sometimes we love the Lord and then he loved us in response. But really, which comes first, the love of the Father. That came first, you know, not our love for him. Our love for him is in response to the fact that he demonstrated love for us. Scripture tells us that, that um, you know, that he demonstrated love for his enemies, those that were set against him, not those that were, were celebrating him, right? So my follow-up question to that is, and you can answer this in a theological way if you want, or you're welcome to answer this in a personal way. But how has the love of the Father been demonstrated to us? If we're saying that he loved us first, I agree. But how has that love been demonstrated to us? I mean, what comes to your mind first? What caught your attention? Because there's a lot of answers to this. Go ahead, Don. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, uh, this is a personal uh, reflection on it when I wasn't at all seeking or even having any idea or wanting to have anything to do with God. Now that, I, you know, some some time has passed where I've been seeking him, I can look back and see where his how his love was there, even when I didn't want it. And, uh, you know, basically ran from it or refused it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, in my own personal life and walk, 
it was definitely his love was there first. In fact, uh, it took a period of time before I even had any concept of what real love was. And I got that from, you know, the relationship that developed when I stopped running from him and, 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 and thwarting his love for me. So I definitely know his love was there first. And um, even, and then that's what I, I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Even when I didn't love him, his love was still abundantly clear in my life. Looking back at it, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. Yeah. Yeah. Good example. Very good. How about someone else? Is there a way you've seen his love demonstrated to you? I just think the greatest example of his love for us is his son. Yeah, explain what you mean. I mean, you know, that he sent his son here and, and sacrificed him for us so they we can all be with him. Yeah. And we can we have um, eternal value. Right. You no, know, that's it is the greatest example, right? I mean, there is no greater example than that. Like that's the ultimate example of of love and the the fact that the father sent the son to lost humanity to rescue, to redeem us. We weren't we weren't looking for him. He came looking for us. And that love was demonstrated for us in Christ and and you know, Lord willing, we'll be surrounded by many reminders of that throughout the course of this week. This is always a great week to be reminded of that. Um, can you think of there? There's another way that I think that we can see the love. There's a, there's many ways, right? I mean, the ultimate example is what we see in Christ, and then there's application of that. And so, can you think of some other ways that you have also noticed God demonstrating His love to you, where you you know just became conscious of His love in how you know just how He operated in your life or something He did on your behalf? Yeah. I think that uh, his love is demonstrated through um, godly relationships. Uh, people who love God reflect his love upon you, even if you aren't um, following him at that time. Yeah. So people that, that demonstrate grace and mercy to you, even in the midst of a season when you're not making it super easy for them to do so. Right. So it's like all like the first 20 years of our life, you know, we'll start there. Right. <laughs> like when I think back, I, so I'm so glad, by the way, that we're all meeting right now. I'm glad that uh, that that uh, that season of my life. Um, let's see. I'm just looking around and see who's on the call here. Yeah. None of you knew me then. So I'm, I'm really glad that uh, <laughs> I'm really glad that we got to meet now, you know, uh, after the Lord has done some refinement in my life. But I tend to be a very hard-headed person about certain things. And that did not start in my adulthood. That was something that was very much, um, you know, part of my life, even in an early stage where I didn't have wisdom to balance that out. And uh, when I think about some of the things that I was willing to argue about and some of the hard time I gave people and the way people would uh, just graciously respond to me. And so I, I agree, Ian, you know, and, and you're probably thinking of some examples in your own life of people that kind of, you know, just, showed you some of that mercy, showed you some of that patience until, until your faith or your, your wisdom caught up. And, um, you know, and then, and then the funny thing is the Lord 
puts us in a spot where he's like, all right, you know, I, I demonstrated that to you through the people I placed in your life. Now it's your turn to demonstrate that to somebody else. There's another thing I was thinking of uh, too, that I, no one brought up yet, but maybe someone will. Uh, Yeah. Paul. I was um, just going to say that when we consider the love that uh, Christ has for us, since we're his disciples, uh, we seem to always focus on that and (laughs) we should. But I'd like to, uh, even before, because our relationship, Christ came in time because he, he was eternal, but he was born in time. But even when we look at the earliest parts of scripture, when we look at Genesis, for example, uh, God demonstrates his love for us there because when he created, he created everything. But when he created man, he created man in his own image. Mm-hmm. The male and create male and female, he created them, but he created man in his own image. And he also gave us something that he didn't give any other part of a creation free will, uh, so that we could love him and, and, uh, and receive him or, uh, reject him. And, uh, boy, we did a good job of doing that. Uh, even from the cross, our Lord said, uh, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Yeah. So uh, there's uh, all, there are so many ways uh, that God has uh, demonstrated His love for us, and so many ways that we've experienced it. Uh, I just wanted to uh, just point out that uh, it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation itself. Oh, absolutely. God chose to create us in His image, and mm-hmm. what more? I mean, when we have children of our own, right? Uh, they're made in our image. You know, and uh, so I'm uh, I'm very happy. My wife is very beautiful. <laughs> it's very it's a very scary thought. Gave, that gave the kid a chance, you know, <laughs> are in my image. <laughs> um, did, did anyone think I, I'd also be curious uh, too? Yeah, that so like the fact that God created us in His image is a demonstration of His love. Absolutely, it's kind of amazing, right? It's an amazing thing to ponder. And I also thought of. Um, one more kind of comes to my mind, although, I mean, really, there's there's many more, but there's one more significant one. Don't you think that uh, the fact that the Lord allows us to come before his throne and make requests of him to intervene, and then he, he intervenes on our behalf so regularly, you know, so answered prayer. When you say answered prayer is one of the the real heartwarming aspects of the ways in which God demonstrates his love. You know, I, I have a friend that you know, Paul, you brought up uh, children. I have a friend who for many, many years was praying for one of his sons. His son's was his son was going through a, a real rough stretch with a variety of things. And I just remember he would just pray for his son and pray for his son and pray for his son. And um, and then in time, we saw the Lord answer those prayers on in regard to his son. And it's amazing to me what I, I've seen the Lord do in that son's life during this stretch of time. But that took many years of, uh, there was a lot of heartache in the midst of that. And yet the Lord answered that prayer and, and uh, snatched that son back and, and, uh, and, and really set him on a good path. It's just kind of interesting to see, you know, definitely a demonstration of love. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, I was just going to say, following on that, it's, you know, we have, the church has one of its greatest theologians in St. Augustine, but thank God for Monica, because if she wasn't praying for her kid, 
the church wouldn't have the wisdom that was shared, you know, for all these centuries. Yeah. So, so yeah, like thank God for moms that remember to pray for their boys. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I got it. Well, now you're going to trigger something that might make me sad. My mom passed away a few years ago, but I, I remember when I was going through one of the roughest stretches of my early life, uh, I walked out of my bedroom in, it was probably like 1230 at night. And I caught my mother praying out loud, kneeling in front of our couch. She had our arms on the couch and she was kneeling on the floor and praying out loud. And I overheard my mother praying for me. So what do you, what do you do with that? <laughs> you know, if there's, I mean, I think the Lord actually facilitated that, that I would hear that. Like she had no idea that I was there and she just felt so compelled. She prayed out loud. She was praying out loud for me and I ended up catching it. And then I tiptoed back into my room and pretended that, you know, I didn't want to, didn't want to interrupt her flow of thought and also get caught having snuck out of my room, you know, but anyway, yeah. Thank God for the prayers of moms for sure. All right. How about this? Um, do you ever struggle? And I don't know. I don't know who will be willing to admit this, or if we'll just admit this with yeses or or, or what. But uh, it's a two part question. First of all, do you ever struggle with idolizing the values of this world? And then the second part of that is, what helps you tear down those idols? So, do you ever struggle with idolizing the values of this world? What helps you tear down those idols? Anyone have an opinion on that? I think that's a harder type question to just kind of like jump up and answer because it's like, uh, I don't know. Do I want to admit that I struggle with idolizing the values of this world? All right, Paul, I see your hand. I believe that everybody uh, has struggled with the values of this world. Oh, for sure. I believe that that, uh, from youth, uh, because of the peer pressure, just in so many different ways in every generation, it it doesn't matter. Uh, There's always the struggle. Uh, What eventually does it is Christian maturity. We when we come to know the Lord and it's the rare person, perhaps the saint, who from the very beginning uh experiences God's love and, you know, is not not distracted by anything in the world. But uh it takes it takes Christian maturity and it 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 takes uh, uh always being uh aware, you know, watchmen, you know uh, there's always the, the reference to the watchman in scripture. Mm-hmm. We have to, we have to always be on watch. Got to be on watch. Yeah. But uh, it's Christian maturity. Christian maturity factoring in. Yeah, for sure. So let me, uh, let me ask one final question for us tonight. And this is where we'll finish up. Why do you suppose many people treat this world and its priorities as permanent in nature And then the second part of that is, what difference does it make to develop an eternal perspective toward your everyday experiences? So it's kind of a question about having that eternal perspective. So, you know, why do you suppose so many people think worldly things are eternal in nature? And and how does it help to develop an eternal perspective that sees that they're not? Anyone have a thought on that or an opinion? Go ahead, Don. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, thinking back to what you were describing whenever you were in that season where the landline and the big stereo yeah. was, yeah. Uh, it was so big to you. I think uh, one of the problems we have is in our flesh, the things that are around us, the things that we need for, you know, everyday life, 
seems so big and so important mm-hmm. that uh, uh, it, it's it's an opposite mindset of eternal mindset that the, the, the things that are going to be eternal, none of them can be seen. In fact, everything we see is going away, but everything that we see, which, you know, uh, our eyes see it, our hands can touch it. So it seems to be the reality, whereas the faith, hope, and love that uh, that will last forever, we don't see any of that. And um, yeah, I think it's a struggle. I just wanted to comment on the uh, on the struggle with um, idolatry because uh, I, I'll admit something to being involved in ministry. Now I'm not been involved in ministry for a for a super long time. But I find myself sometimes idle, uh, being caught up in idolatry with like, I want there to be, you know, 75, 80 people at every service. And like the, the world standard is what I seem to be important, losing sight of, you know, like Jesus talked about, you know, leaving the 99 sheep and going looking for the one. So the uh, trying to do God's work and God's will my way. Mm-hmm. And I, it, you know, sometimes it's, it just gets so clouded that that is idolatry because I'm, I'm basically idolizing my knowledge, my speaking ability or my power mm-hmm. when I have none. So it, it's kind of a trap that way. And, uh, and because of the flesh, I think we're going to continue to battle with that, but, uh, it's an idolatry that kind of is, is a little bit hidden because I'm doing God's work. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm on the right path. And sometimes I can slip into idolatry with that instead of really relying on Christ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's the things that we uh, would look at and say, yeah, this is a good thing. And sometimes we take things that are good things and can even make them an idol. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, Paul. Um, I want to echo Don, and I want to thank him for saying what he just did, because, yeah, you, you as, a, as a minister, you're thinking about, uh, you know, where are the numbers, you know, that, that that's that's the proof that I'm doing the right thing. And I've got a good wife who always reminds me, listen, it's not that it's it's the it's being true to true to the message and and doing uh, doing what you're called to do. And, and that's to to reach out and touch hearts. And uh, she reminds me, too, that uh, in the beginning, uh, the uh, Christianity was the small kid on the block. Hmm. They, they, they were the ones that were, uh, if you will, cultish. Uh, they were regarded that way by, by the other uh, uh, faiths. But um, anyway, and uh, one thing on landlines, yeah. this is just because I went through four hurricanes in Florida, when... You go when you go through a hurricane, all of your all of the radio towers, everything gets destroyed. The only thing that ever doesn't stop working is a landline because there's a little bit of electric in that line. And that keeps the that keeps the and that's sometimes that's the only contact you have. So let's hope that Philadelphia never gets a hurricane. (laughs) I sure hope it doesn't. But I don't know. We've had some pretty nasty storms come through here including, uh, you know, hurricanes that have uh, definitely had an impact. I, I ended up having to replace my entire fence <laughs> a few years ago when, uh, what was it, Sandy, when Hurricane Sandy did its, uh, did its damage. 
I had to get a new fence. My, my old fence got ripped down in that, but I can't even tell you if my landline worked cause I didn't have one, Paul. So well, that's, it's always should have. have a landline. I mean, it's only <laughs> at most it's nine bucks a month. Get a landline, get a landline. All right. All right. <laughs> and that's how we're going to end tonight, everybody, you know, so that's going to be, that's going to be the main takeaway tonight. I think, you know, get a landline. All right. <laughs> Well, uh, so glad you guys are able to join us and, you know, from all, all the different areas that we had represented here tonight, it's always fun to be able to kind of carve out a little time to just be able to study the scriptures together. I'm grateful that you guys join us for this time. Our next study is going to pick up on the last section of 1 John chapter 2. So we're going to pick up on 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and that's going to be on April 13th. So it's exactly two weeks from tonight. April 13th, and it'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern. So if you're listening via the podcast, we'd invite you to join us on April 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'd love to have you as part of our next Bible study as we're going to pick up on uh, from 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 18. Well, that's it for us tonight. Thanks, everybody, for being part of tonight's study. So grateful that we have the time to spend together. And uh, I hope everyone has a, a wonderful Easter week. And a great celebration of our Lord's crucifixion and, and, and his resurrection as we celebrate the fact that death did not defeat him. He defeated death. And that victory is ours as we trust in Jesus Christ. So have a great week, everybody. Looking forward to getting together again very soon. Good night. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.